everybody, welcome back to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. Today is episode 3, Revenge of the Sequentials. My name is Brian Salvatore, and I will be your host for this MultiversityComics.com podcast. Make sure to go to MultiversityComics.com, check out all of our coverage on Star Wars and everything else that's going on in the comics world. Today's all about comic books. Sequential art is another word for comic bookery, after all. And we're going to talk about the various different incarnations of Star Wars comics. Um... Star Wars comics is something that I was never really all that into, despite being really into comics and really into Star Wars. You know, I was aware of sort of all the iterations, especially the Dark Horse iteration, but some of my first comics memories are do involve the Marvel Star Wars series, but I was never a super fan. You're going to hear me talk about more of that in a few minutes. But what I think is so interesting about Star Wars as a comic property is the least successful Star Wars comics tend to be the ones that hew the closest to the movies. I don't mean that in the sense of, like, Jason Aaron's current Star Wars series being uh, unsuccessful because it takes place between episodes four and five. I don't mean that at all. I mean that the comics give creators opportunities to do things that could never be done in a Star Wars film proper. And when the comics embrace that, that's when really special things happen. And... I've been really enjoying the new Marvel series, and that's actually the only bit of Star Wars comics you're not going to hear me talk about, though you will hear other people talk about them. But um, enough teasing, let's get right to it. This is a chat that I had with my pal Greg Matasevich a few weeks ago about the original Marvel comic Star Wars series. Take it away, two weeks younger version of me. All right, I am joined by my pal Greg who is calling in tonight from the wonderful state of Maryland. Uh And we are going to talk about Star Wars comics, sort of pre-Dark Horse license. So the original Marvel Star Wars comics. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we get started, uh, I am 33. Greg, how old are you? 38. So so we're contemporaries (laughs) in the sense that we remember Star Wars comics before there was more than one type of Star Wars comic. You know, yes. uh, in my childhood, when someone said Star Wars comics, it just meant the Marvel books that were that, that were called Star Wars. That that's all yeah. there was. Um, and I guess before we get too deep into this, what was sort of your first exposure to Star Wars comics? Um, that's you know I've been thinking about this, and I think the fir- I think the first one was a let's see how do I want to describe this a paperback, not a trade paperback, but a paperback novel size collection of the empire strikes back okay. issues so the goodwin williamson uh star wars stuff it wasn't even complete it was missing the cover and it was missing the first 20 or so pages okay uh so it only had so it started like at the battle as the hoth battle was starting so like as the walkers show up so if you're if you're looking at a copy of it there's like that it, i guess it was basically the second issue splash page was the quote unquote cover uh, for this thing, and it was, you know, like I said, paperback sized. It might even have been missing the ending, as well. I, th- it, it, I think it was complete, other than the the first part. But that was kind of my first, like, oh, this is Star Wars, and it's not the movies, and it's comics, but it's interesting. Uh, and then after that, it was pretty sort of sporadic. Uh, but we can get into into that. So, but th- I th- I'm. Almost positive that was my first sort of slab of of, of Star Wars comics. 
that. I have I have kind of two moments, and I don't know which one happened first, but they they happened mm-hmm. about the same time. Uh, I have a cousin who is uh, seven years my senior, and who is who especially at that age was a huge driver of my interests. You know, he's kind mm-hmm. of like my big brother, and so he had a ton of Star Wars stuff, including some Star Wars comics. And I remember being disappointed as a kid looking at the Star Wars comics because I felt like I had my Superman comics and Justice League, whatever they were, but to me, the Star Wars comics didn't look like Star Wars to me. Like, I expected it to look like the movies, and it didn't, which is understandable as an adult now, but as a kid, that was... I was kind of bummed out. Specifically, I was bummed out by how C-3PO looked. Did you... Do you remember, like, around what time that was? This would have been, like, 85... Okay. 86. But again, I don't know if it was a new issue or if it was something older. You know, I, I don't remember offhand what issue it was. What I do remember, though, yeah. is right around that time, I, I don't know, were there Kmarts where you grew up? Uh, I grew up all over the place, so kind of yes. Okay. Um, Kmart used to sell these Marvel Comics, I think it was nine packs of comics. Mm-hmm. It was in like a, a there's a cardboard like um, bottom to it, and then it was sort of cellophane on top. And there were three comics you could see. Sorry, there were six comics you could see, and there was a comic in between all of them. So it was like it was three stacks of three in this kind of plastic and cellophane container. And when I would go shopping with my mom, that would be like if I was good in the supermarket or the in Kmart rather, she would get me one of these Marvel Comics nine packs. And, nice. like, invariably, for a five-year-old or whatever, the worst comic to get would be the Nam, because, like, it holds, <laughs> holds no interest. And I feel like every single pack, one of the hidden comics was the Nam, like, without fail, every single time. Um, uh, which, again, you can imagine, like, now, that would be a sweet comic to get out of, yeah. out of a mystery bag. But when you're five or four, whatever, like there's no interest in that whatsoever. Yeah, um, yeah. But I remember getting a Star Wars comic in that package. Mm-hmm. And I remember the Star Wars comic, again, I couldn't tell you number. I haven't even, tr- I, I can't even visualize the cover in my head. I just remember there was a sequence in there with Luke um, kind of, I don't want to say it was a speeder. It was something like a speeder, riding a speeder. And then jumping out and doing a flip with his lightsaber. I remember thinking the flip was so cool. Because at that point, Jedi's, you didn't always see them do that stuff. Like you saw Luke flip when he was on the sort of the the floating sea cruise thing uh, at Jabba's Palace. Like he flipped off that diving board thing. But that was pretty much it. Like, you know, and I I was, it was my first exposure to, oh wow, there's a comic doing something. That is beyond what a movie could maybe do, right. you know. It, it was it was a very cool, and so that realization was very important to me. But you know, um, I really started collecting. I mean, I, I was getting comics from when I was probably three years old or four years old on, but I wouldn't say I was really collecting comics probably until I was seven or eight. So that'll be eighty nine, ninety, which is right when Marvel lost the license. Right. So I was never collecting the Marvel Star Wars comics, but I was certainly aware of them and I did read them. Uh, what kind of uh, did you collect them at all, or did you just were they the kind of the comics that you were aware of but didn't necessarily buy? I was aware of. I didn't really, I didn't really buy them. So I'm obviously shifted about five years ahead of you. Yeah. So by the time I really started getting into comics, they were 
canceled. Like they stopped in '86. Right. So by the time I was looking to get comics, they weren't on the they weren't on the stands anymore, uh, and I didn't really necessarily go back, uh, uh, you know, for them. Um, the it, it, it's interesting, and I don't think people are necessarily gonna 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 understand this now. But at the time, licensed comics. Uh, and I didn't notice this necessarily with the little even Star Wars stuff that I saw, but I certainly noticed this with like Transformers. Um, there is a big dis- <laughs> like people do Transformers comics now, and the Transformers look like they just stepped off the screen or just stepped off right, or whatever. Right. Like they they are, you know, I mean, like on model on model. You look at those early like Marvel Transformers comics. Those color, like even just the color schemes are so <laughs> so completely off, completely different. <laughs> like it's almost not even. You, it's almost like not even licensed, you know. So when you're like, "Hey, this looks different than the than the movie," or this is something that's not, you know, really like the source material, I was like, "That was kind of you didn't really expect the type of fidelity that people would be up in arms with if they didn't get if they right. didn't get to that." Right. As a little uh, kid, I you know it was it was different just because like I had a Star Wars encyclopedia and there were pictures from the movie in that. Yeah. yeah, and so it's just it's just a different to me. Star Wars books should look like Star Wars. Of course, now as an adult, and especially as somebody who has gone back, even when you get like a rom comic, yeah. looking at looking at the uh, sort of like the, the the toy property comics, the comics never look like the toys, <laughs> which is so right. weird to me. Uh, well, at the times the, the toys were sort of no offense, shitty looking. So like well, the comics were, yeah. are always better, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, oh man, there was something else I was going to, uh, uh, I'm sorry, fin- finish your thought. No, all. I have, um, but yeah, so it was, I feel like it, I was also at the age where I was reading comics for a very different reason, obviously, than why I read comics today. Yes. And so I think I would have enjoyed the Star Wars comic, the Marvel Star Wars comics, had I first encountered them even five years later. But I think at that time, what I wanted out of it was something that was super action-packed and something that was reminiscent of the Star Wars that I knew and loved. And that wasn't necessarily yeah. what I was getting from those Star Wars comics. Yeah. Uh, so back then, <laughs> back in the you know the dinosaur age, uh, things were, I mean, they were still licensed. But things were – it was a little more like the Wild West back then um, in terms of, like, what you could kind of get away with in the comics. And there was really only – I mean, when we say the comics, it was, like, one series. It was Star Wars and, like, an occasional annual. Mm-hmm. I know at least one annual, like, maybe a couple. Um, and that was it. Like, there was no line. There was no Star Wars presence any really anywhere else to any sort of big degree. So it was just, like, every month you get a little slab of some Star Wars comics and you read it and you're like, okay – uh, one of the other things, so I saw the, the Empire of the Strikes, Empire Strikes Back, uh, you know, little mini graphic novel mm-hmm. thingy. Um, and, and then the next sort of slab of Star Wars, I can think of two others that I, that I ran into. The next one I think would have been the, uh, Marvel super special collection of Return of the Jedi. Okay. So Return of the Jedi, when they, when they. So when they ad- when Marvel adapted Star Wars, the first movie they did it in six issues of like the regular series, like it started the series. Right. Uh, when Empire Strikes Back came out, they did it as a six issue adaptation in the series. 
issues like 38 to 42 or 44 or whatever. Uh, when Return of the Jedi came out, they did it as a separate miniseries and they did it in four issues. And what uh, Marvel was also doing at the time, they did this with like Dune and a bunch of other uh, movie adaptations, is that they would put them out as two separate series at regular size and then collect their trade paperback versions weren't like uh, spined collections. They were oversized magazine. They're printed on probably like Baxter paper, the really nice sort of sort of printing. And I came across a copy of this, you know, Return of the Jedi uh, collection I had to have been like maybe I was seven, six or seven. Um, it's it's uh, again Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson. They didn't have the space that they did for the earlier collections, so it's even more compact than than you know some of the earlier adaptations. Williamson was having a little more of his assistance helping him out with that, so it doesn't look quite as crisp. I mean, it still looks good, but it doesn't look quite as crisp as the earlier stuff. Uh, but there was this Bill Sienkiewicz cover. Um, it was like black. Uh, it had, you know, Luke was on it and he had the green lightsaber and he's, you know, it, it, this cover just like jumped right the hell out at me. And it, I, it helped me maybe come to think of there being more, it was one of the, one of the building blocks in my understanding that there can be more than one interpretation of a specific thing. Mm-hmm. that I can enjoy because I would read in, you know, I'd read the actual comic and see Ad Williamson doing his, you know, doing his thing. And of course that was fantastic. But then when I see the cover and I see Bill Sienkiewicz, you know, clearly it's Luke and clearly it doesn't look like the, it's not a photo and it doesn't look like what's inside. It's right. something different texturally. But my brain is like, you know, I, I like that too. Okay. So that's possible, you know, even on like a subconscious level yeah. that I would be able to articulate it until later. I was like, Oh, okay. This is, you know, this, this is cool. You and um, I talked about this when I was on Robots from Tomorrow, the wonderful podcast that Greg and our our friend and colleague, Mike Romeo, co-host, were talking about uh, Cosmic Odyssey. How mm-hmm. I said that when I, when I saw Mignola's Superman, it was the first time I realized that Superman didn't have to look the way that Superman looked in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I had seen a different interpretation of Superman, and I liked it, but it it kind of confused me as a, as a young kid. So I understand that that feeling of you know, oh, this is different, but I like this, but it's not what I'm used to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other the other thing that's kind of comics, but sort of in a backwards way, was again. So you know, the movies aren't in the theaters anymore. Uh, at at this point, they're probably on video. I may or may not have, may or may not have had them on video. Maybe I taped them off a of TV. I, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but one of the things I also had was, um, it's not like a book on tape, but it's essentially like a picture book on tape. We'd have like a picture book. Uh-huh, yeah, have a tape. I had the Return you, of the Jedi one of those. Right. This one uh, that I had, I had at least two. One of them I think was just like a regular Star Wars reenactment with like the music and and stuff in it uh but this other one was called droid world uh and it turned out to be an adaptation of issue like 46 or 47 of the series uh written uh what i didn't know at the time but found out later written by archie goodwin drawn by carmine infantino uh where basically luke um luke sends c3po and r2d2 uh with this damaged this thing called a warbot to this like crazy cyborg uh guy who runs this place called droid world so he can repair this warbot and they can get like the imperial secrets out of it and it's like this one-off sort of uh, sort of adventure but 
um, you know, having this, it's not necessarily comics because it's just literally words and pictures. It's not told sort of sequentially, but, you know, listening to that and, and as like a little bit of extended universe sort of thing, it was little bits like that, that we got maybe, you know, outside of this little monthly slab of, yeah. uh, a slab of stuff. And I can still remember listening to, I can remember voice actors, uh, or I mean, I can remember the way voices sounded, uh, from that even, you know, 30, 30 some years later and stuff. It really, because I listened to that stuff over and over and over and over again. Uh, and again, without having instant access to, you know, these movies and all this sort of extra material, when we would see little bits like that, you know, I mean, Star Wars and the culture was, it was big in the culture, but it didn't have that like concrete presence, uh, and sort of just, you know, massive, uh, um, not marketing push, but like uh, ancillary sort of extended universe push that we got even once the Dark Horse stuff started. I mean, this was, you know, way, way, way sort of sort of back in the day. So we would get these little these little bits and pieces and sort of put together the Star Wars universe in our head, kind of pieced together from all this, this little stuff. So it's really, you know, uh, kind of uh, really kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, now, have you gone back and read a lot of the Marvel Star Wars stuff? I've read some of it. Not, not a lot, though. Some I've gone back and read uh, the somewhere around the middle of the run, like the the Walt Simonson, David Michelini stuff. Some of the Archie Goodwin, uh, uh, Al Williamson. Uh, they did you know the two adaptations, a couple of spot things here and there, and then of course the the Star Wars daily comic strips, um, sort of before that. But mm-hmm. uh, a kind of aware. I mean, they, there were a lot of good people working on them. Uh, Klaus Janson. Uh, did an ad. Um, Joe Duffy wrote it, but Klaus Jansen did art uh, and everything for like a Star Wars annual. So one that's got Darth Vader on the cover, mm-hmm. <laughs> drawn yeah. by Klaus Jansen. Like that one's really good. Um, the run I think was uh, overall. I think the run was relatively strong for that period. So um, let me ask you this question then, because this mm-hmm. is again, this is you know, young child Brian. Yeah, remembering this, so it could be remember completely wrong. To me, it always felt like the the original, not the not the adaptations, obviously. The mm-hmm. original stories for those comics always seemed to me like they were afraid to do anything too bold in them. So it it was very much little like, like Luke sending the droids off to to like to to have another droid fixed. That sounds like yeah. a perfect description of a Marvel Star Wars comic. Yeah, like, they, there's wasn't a lot of high drama. That because they they couldn't do too much with the properties, right? Well, yeah, and 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 that's the that's the thing. Um, you know, they were you know licensing was kind of loose at the time, but Lucasfilm did say, "Look, you can do this and you can't do that." Um, I heard an interview with Walt Simonson, uh, you know, a while back, and he was talking about his his run with David, David Michelinie, and so it was after Empire, and it was going into Jedi, and I guess they had come together. Uh, to to or they had pitched the story about basically having them build a second Death Star, and do that. And Lucasfilm was like, "Yeah, no, we're not going <laughs> to let you do that. We're not we're not saying why, just um, no." <laughs> so they're like, "Okay, I guess we know what's going to be in Jedi." So they went and did. It wasn't like they basically did the story they were going to do, but they changed it from being a Death Star to being this like basically floating space cannon called the Tarkin. Okay, you know, and then they kind of just did the story they were going to do. Um, but yeah, you would have things like, you know, um, 
Luke and and Vader are on like the same ship and they're just going to meet and oh they meet but then Vader you know an airlock opens up and Vader gets sucked out and so they don't get to have that that type of uh, that type of confrontation that you actually see at the beginning of the the new Marvel Star Wars uh, one where it's like oh Vader and Luke together and oh they're fighting and oh Luke's getting his ass kicked like you didn't have that type of thing you you teased it Uh, and but there were but there were then also issues where like there was some, yeah, I can't remember it exactly, but it was basically almost like a con, uh, like a uh, a con game sort of episode uh, issue. Like Princess Leia was involved, uh, and she was dealing with like some third party faction to to have them deal with the alliance. But then like the Empire was kind of involved, and so Vader was there. So the end of the issue has Vader and Luke or Vader and Leia like standing together on a balcony, basically saying like, "Well, that was." completely messed up sort of situation <laughs> like it's really sort of kind of weird you yeah. know but again yeah. the 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 weight of the of the expanded universe and the weight of trying to i don't know how to say i don't want to say like trying to be self-important but they didn't they took themselves not too too seriously you know whereas once once lucas it feels like once lucasfilm got into sort of its second gear of okay now we're doing extended universe stuff now there's a there, here's a real line everybody's got to tow and maybe that extends more into like tone mm-hmm. about certain things although some of the star wars stuff is sort of uh, the tone is is you know uh, malleable uh, to a bit but those uh, those early i mean Jesus, the early Star Wars uh, comics had you know Jackson in it, which which uh, you know the seven foot tall green <laughs> rabbit. Yep. And you're like, okay, how? And the, so the the first the first story after the Marvel adapt or the Marvel Star Wars adaptation was essentially like the seven samurai in space, and so one of the samurai was that's where Jackson comes from. Like he was one of the bounty hunters that, or he was one of the guys that that Han kind of recruits to help out this. Thing. It was essentially like, hey, we're doing. Let's just do Seven Samurai, and you know, where Thomas is like, yeah, fuck it, let's, you know, let's go. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, not exactly playing under, uh, uh, you know, the strictest of of, of rules uh, yeah. and, and and stuff. So, now looking back on those books, um, you know, I actually think that things like Jackson, as weird as they were, yeah, uh, I think that there's sort of a charm to that, though. Oh yeah, and I think that there's a. I worry that the current Marvel iteration is so concerned with the fact that I did pretty much said that from this point on, anything that comes out with the word star Wars on it is Canon and it's Canon on the level of everything else. Mm. And I think that makes it really difficult to be a storyteller in the, in a, in a, let's be fair, an ancillary medium, right? This is not a, a film and I think part of the charm of something like the Marvel Star Wars comics is you could create this weird, you know, these yeah. weird characters that really don't have anything to do with the, the films, but they have a place in the comic. And mm-hmm. I worry that with this with this sort of new regime in place that we're never going to get those type of characters again and those type of stories again. Do you yeah. think that that's a valid concern? I think it's I think it's very valid. Uh, and. Under, I mean, I can understand both sides of the equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like it would be a shame if, the, you know, if slash when that happened. Um, I mean, one of the beauties about Star Wars, at least starting off, was that it was, you know, Lucas 
trying to get Flash Gordon uh, rights, didn't get it, and he sort of came up with his own with his own thing for Star Wars. But it was very much emulating that type of fly by the seat of your pants sort of serial adventure mm-hmm. type of type of story. And it's like the further they got away from that, the more the tightening, you know, you know, sort of comes down, and and then it it just becomes a specific thing. Whereas before, it could be a venue to tell like it more be of anything. these other yeah. right. Right, all right. So I think your I think your point is very valid. Uh, so let me ask and, you this then: if yeah. if the modern Star Wars comics, and then I guess this will be kind of we, we wrap up this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the if the modern Marvel Star Wars comics could take one thing from the first time they had the license, what would you suggest that they take with them? Hmm. Um. Oh, that's interesting. Uh. There was a hmm, uh, somewhere around the middle of the run. Uh, I guess you know most of the stuff that I that I read. Luke uh, was given a kind of a love interest, kind of a, a female um, co-protagonist type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like clearly, they'd moved away from. They moved away from Leia, and there was a nice storyline where he was, uh, he was, uh, you know, being paired up with this woman, and they were interacting, and then it turns out she was like an empire empire spy, and and stuff, and so there was there was that type of that type of uh, um, interaction, um, and I think that would be probably one of the if I had to pick a specific thing. Um, you know the 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 opportunity to have Luke sort of do his own, like do his own thing, and okay. not be afraid, not be afraid to bring in characters and have them be. Let me let me put it this way: uh, not be afraid to bring in other characters, have them interact with the core, uh, you know, with sort of the core cast, and develop into their own thing, even if they don't like end up showing up in a movie or. Or anything, you know, because that was that was the thing with with um, God, I can't remember what her name was, but she was there for like a year, you know. It was it was like a almost a it, almost if not a, like a year long subplot uh, and and stuff, and it made things like it it kept the series from look from feeling like a you know one and done type of right. It, it you know, also of, probably helped bridge the gap between the adaptations. Yeah. You know, so that is yeah. that is good. Um, I Did think, I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I think for me, it's just the simple awareness that they're making comics. Like one of one of the criticisms that I had when I had heard the original creative team for the new Marvel flagship Star Wars, I think John Cassidy is a, a very very technically gifted artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, my concern with him was, oh, I th- he he might become a guy who's more worried about making sure that Luke looks like Mark Hamill versus doing a good story. You know, he can, to me, his work can fall into that little bit too precious for its own good work. Yeah. And I'm happy to say, I I don't think it was as bad as it could have been, but I thought like bringing Stuart Eminent into the book was a much, (laughs) much better choice for a lot of reasons. And I just hope that they keep, trying to make the best comics they can make and not mm-hmm. necessarily think about them as tie-ins to the film franchise. So similar to what you're saying, you know, but just mm-hmm. to let the comics exist on their own and do their own thing and 
not be afraid to create scary giant rabbits and uh, potential love interests and to go off on little tangents. The beauty of the comics is they can go off on these little tangents. Right. There there can be side adventures. Not everything has to be as epic. And I think if this Star Wars film does well, which, let's face it, it's going to do... Well, if it's it's critically successful... Right, right. Then I think that Marvel might be able to do more stuff with the comics than they've been able to do so far. Because it will give them... Because then the hype machine is rolling and people are going to buy anything Star Wars even more than they are now. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, and so yeah. I feel like that will buy them a little bit more rope, hopefully. Okay. But overall, uh, is there, as, as of the two of us, you are the more uh, experienced Marvel Star Wars reader. Is there a particular issue or creator's run you would recommend to people? Uh the I mean there there are a couple. Uh I would pick up of the adaptations, I would pick up Empire. Um because it's technically it feels technically more proficient than Star Wars. Uh and it doesn't quite get the short shrift that, that Jedi does. I think the Jedi hardcover just came out like this week. Yeah. Um but the uh uh if you can track down I mean I know there's the the Empire uh hardcover which has been like sort of remastered and everything if you can track down like the marvel super special that has it in like oversized but like the original printing that's like that's the one i would pick uh there are um somewhere around the middle of the run the 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 david michelinie simonson i think goodwin did a couple of issues like before that uh so in the a long time ago omnibuy like maybe like volume three or four this probably gets pretty pretty strong mm-hmm. um and then they're like one-off issues sort of after that towards the later of the run that like oh this is really good this is really good um the star wars annual with um darth vader on the cover i can't remember what number it is but that one was was really was really strong um yeah but i think even at its even at its worst it's still like oh that was okay you know so really you should just be able to you know um kind of read along at sort of any of them and, and enjoy them. So yeah, those, you know, a long time ago, omnibus, I think that's what they're still called. I think uh, so, yeah. co- collects the Marvel stuff and yeah, just dive right on in. I would think too, at least my experience, with going to conventions is that Marvel omnibi go on sale very dramatically at conventions. Yes. And so maybe at 20 bucks in your pocket, at the end of a con, you might be able to pick up an omnibi for 20 bucks, you know? So, you know, look around for them. I think it's, I think it's definitely worth an investment. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Greg. I am joined this evening by my friend Walter Richardson, editor emeritus of Multiversity, and we're going to be talking about the Dark Horse era of Star Wars comics. So, Walt, I guess to begin, what's the first Dark Horse Star Wars book you remember buying or um, getting in some, you know, I don't know if you bought it or was given to you or whatever? I've actually talked about this a, and at this point, I think uh, every one of these uh, Star Wars recordings we've done, <laughs> but the first ones I read were the uh, Star Wars Tales of the Jedi, uh, which were the story set something like about 4,000 years before the Battle of Yavin uh, and would form the basis for the Knights of the Old Republic uh, video games. 
And were you were you reading these when they were new, or were they already a little bit old by this point? Oh, they were definitely old. I was four when these were coming out. Sorry to... <laughs> That's all right. Remind you of your mortality. <laughs> but, um, yeah, because I, I was... a. Uh, I became aware of these by playing Knights of the Old Republic, and this might be a review for some of our listeners, but um, you know, this is set... This comes out before that, so don't worry. This is, this is teasing. Ah, teasing. Well, basically, that I found out that these games that were set in Star Wars' distant past were, in turn, based on some comics that were set chronologically before then, and it kind of built off of the prehistory that were developed in there. And since I, you know, loved uh, the Knights of the Old Republic games, I went and read these comics, saw what they were all about, and then just read more and more Dark Horse Star Wars stuff. Yeah, I um, I specifically remember going into my local comic shop and seeing Star Wars Dark Empire number one, the first Dark Horse Star Wars comic. Um, I would right. I would have been nine years old at the time. And uh, Star Wars comics were never something that I was regularly pulling. But, you know, it was one of those things when you're a kid and you see a cover that speaks to you and you pick up that issue. So I probably bought one to two Star Wars comics a year for the first, you know, nine or ten years of Dark Horse putting out the uh, the license. Um, beyond your Tales of the Jedi fandom... What are some other Dark Horse Star Wars books that you really appreciated and enjoyed? Well, uh, the interesting thing about uh, Dark Horse, especially later on in their time with the license, was they had a few different uh, series that were kind of uh, not not anthologies, but you know, ongoing series set in different times during the chronology. That then might have, you know, sometimes they had the same writers doing multiple arcs. Sometimes they had writers rotating on arcs. Like you had Republic, you had Empire, um, you had, uh, I said Republic, Empire, Rebellion. You know, they took their name from, of course, the time that they were set in and uh, their perspective. You know, Empire was, as you might imagine, uh, stories set from the Empire's perspective, Vader, uh, or sometimes, you know, just like stormtroopers mm-hmm. uh, taking the lead. And so the interesting thing is that when it comes to DC and Marvel, I kind of play the whole, you know, follow the creators, not the uh, not the characters card. But I'm really guilty of just kind of reading Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> um Especially because they, Dark Horse issued these great omnibuses. They're not what, when you hear that, you know, most of the time, comic bands in particular think of, you know, those big hardcovers. Instead, these were a little bit more bite-sized, thick paperbacks um, for Star Wars, where they were kind of set, again, throughout different periods of it. And they, like, kind of mixed and matched different uh, stories from the different eras in these paperbacks. And that's mainly how I read uh, most of my Star Wars comics, just picking up those. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, what I think is interesting about the Dark Horse Star Wars license is 
Yes, there were times when they would specifically tie in to a film. There were times when they would take a character, like for instance, you know, there was a, a number of Darth Maul miniseries. There's a couple of Qui Gon Jinn miniseries. Um, so you know, and, and there was plenty of Vader and you know other characters. You recognize there are series that are based around that, but the Dark Horse seemed pretty content to be playing in the distant past of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And content to be building up things that would never pay off in a movie or in a TV show, and just very content to be comics, right? And I and find that that's kind of unique among the different license holders of Star Wars comics. I think that's a that's a fair assessment, and you also see the opposite happen. Uh, with their legacy, which is rather than set in the distant past, set in the distant future. And so, you know, kind of on its own, I think some other media sort of tied into legacy, but I forget I forget how many years after uh, the movies it's supposed to be set, but it's a far future version of Star Wars, like a lot of uh, these comics were uh, created by... Uh, Ostrander and Dersema, I believe her name is pronounced, um, and with a sort of edgy Skywalker descendant, Cade, and I think that I think that one of the pros and the cons of Dark Horse's time with the license is that they read as much like comics as they do as Star Wars. And you see that in Legacy, where there's... I I like Legacy in spite of its faults. Some people think it tries a bit too hard, and that's a fair assessment. Um, but it definitely feels like a comic book. And you see that in some of their other titles, and I think it isn't executed as well, such as you mentioned before, Dark Empire. One of my problems with Dark Empire is... It just feels so much more like a comic book than it does Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You've got, especially with you know the cloning and everything. You know. Right, right. I want to talk briefly about. I know we're not having Marvel chat right now, but sure. um, when the when Marvel reacquired the license a few years ago, it seemed like the Marvel line was going to be that Marvel was going to put their top tier talent on these books. Mm-hmm. You know, Jason Aaron is arguably the best writer that Marvel has. Uh, best is, is hard to quantify. Of the, course. The, the combination of the most talented and the most commercially successful writer they have under contract right now. Yes. Uh, you know, things like that. Dark Horse always seemed far less interested in the, uh, I'm going to call it gimmick um casting in terms of, of getting creators in the book and they were really much more content to put sort of uh newer artists lower tiered writers and artists on the books and i think that in some ways that gave the dark horse books a feel all of their own right like you could pick up a dark horse star wars comic and there was more of a unified feel than i think any of the marvel star wars comics because the artists were it wasn't somebody you know drawing Star Wars. Right. More often than not, it was somebody you don't know drawing Star Wars. Yeah. Do you think that's a benefit or a detriment to the books? I think it's it's hard to uh, say whether that's a benefit or a detriment. It ties into what I said earlier, where for me, Star Wars comics 
were Star Wars comics. And this is no, this isn't to disparage any of the many great writers and artists who have worked on them when they were at, when the license was with Dark Horse. But the creators, for the most part, and with some exceptions, they tend to blend into the comic that they're, they don't stick out as, oh, this is so-and-so writing Star Wars. Right. There are some exceptions, of course, like we mentioned before, Ostrander as uh, just one of the major Star Wars figures at Dark Horse. You know, he definitely had a style that came through as uh, pretty uniquely his. And another one would be towards the end of their license when they had Brian Wood do uh, just Star Wars. Right. Um, but the, it was definitely more the exception rather than the rule. And I'm not sure if it is a good thing or a bad thing. I think on the one hand, it makes it so that there's a cohesion to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it all, as I've repeated a few times, it, it all feels like Star Wars. On the other hand, it does kind of make it really hard to point out to, you know, potential people who are interested, you know, oh yeah, you know, look out for this, this is awesome, this is awesome. It is kind of the stuff that you just pick up and read and pick up and read. And there are certainly a few stand-up, standout stories, but it does, in a sense, blend together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the Brian Wood Star Wars book is a really interesting example of Dark Horse going against what they had been doing for almost 20 years at that point. Definitely. Um, or I guess it was 20 years, right? They started in 91. When did that Star Wars book come out? Uh, that was... Hold on. That was uh, 2013, I believe. Yeah, so it was 22 years yeah. into the license they did that. It was the first time they want. It seemed to me that they wanted the casual Star Wars fan to buy the comic. Yes, at least the first time in a long time. Maybe classic Star Wars back in the day, or any of the movie tie-ins. Yeah, would have been opportunities for that. But in terms of an ongoing series, it was the yes. first time in a long time they wanted the kid who had seen the Star Wars films but wasn't necessarily a Star Wars comic reader to pick up that book. Right, not only not only in the not only in how they were like, "Hey, we are getting Brian Wood to write Star Wars," but in the fact that it was set after Episode One, it starred Luke Leia. Episode Four, on, you mean? Sorry, yeah, first movie, Episode <laughs> Four. Um, setting it right after Episode One might have alienated. A lot. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, you know, but you know, a big draw was, and and they, I remember back when that was coming out that they talked about how. It really drew on none of the other EU. I, and yeah, I, th- I think you're definitely right that that was their goal. And it was them kind of going against the grain. And it might have been because I forget if this was announced before or after the uh, Disney acquisition of Lucasfilm. But even if it was before, I felt that they were kind of seeing the writing on the wall when it came to Star Wars. Yeah, they probably saw that the license wasn't going to be renewed unless something big changed. Yeah, you know, because and look, this is not to disparage the books that were coming out at that time, but Star Wars: Knight Errant, Star Wars: Blood Ties. These weren't books that were selling a ton of copies. No, these, these weren't books that were getting people 
excited for Star Wars comics outside of the fans who were already excited. And, and I'm not trying to minimize those fans. Because I, I know there are a number of people who are very upset with the way Marvel has taken the books. Right. And even those fans, they weren't all, you know, I myself, I, I was buying a few Star Wars books and... Then I got to the point where I was just kind of like, you know, picking up a couple for reviews when I was still writing those. And then by the end, I, I until Woods Star Wars, I was really kind of out of the whole Dark Horse scene for a bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think that... We're kind, of, we're kind of jumping ahead to the end of the conversation here. We'll circle back for a few things, but do you think that when taken as a whole, the Star Wars license at Dark Horse was appropriately used, or were there a lot of missed opportunities, or could it be both? Um, well, despite you know my the negatives I was mentioning, I think that uh, Star the way that Star Wars was handled at Dark Horse was a good thing. I think that. It really formed this cohesive whole. Uh, again, maybe some faults of it not being like too exciting, but in the sense that they made a lot of good quality work. And you have to remember that unlike DC and unlike Marvel, Star Wars is not a comics property first. Right. It's probably not even, I would say it's probably not a comics property second. Hmm. That, you know, the. Movies, of course, take precedence over everything. I'd say probably both the uh, books and the video games are more of a priority, so to speak, um, than the comics. And so it's amazing how much they were able to do, how well they were able to do it with that in mind. That's that's an excellent point. Um, to me, sort of the last really interesting... Star Wars comic at Dark Horse, which I was not particularly a, f- a huge fan of, but I thought it was an interesting idea, and I'm actually surprised that they were able to do it, was, uh, came out at the end of 2013, the The Star Wars series. Yes. The, the eight-issue series that was based off of Lucas's, is it first draft? I believe so. Of, of, of the film script, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are very, very different from that uh, from that script versus what we came to see. And I think that if Dark Horse had perhaps done more things like that, maybe they would have kept the license a little bit longer. But once once Disney acquired Lucasfilm, the writing was on the wall. Yeah, there's no real point from them for them to continue with it. Not a negative to Dark Horse, just if they own Star Wars and they own Marvel, well <laughs> Exactly. Pretty clear connection there. So I have a couple more quick things I want to discuss here. The first is, do you ever think we're going to get to a place in Marvel Star Wars comics where the landscape looks more similar to what Dark Horse was doing in terms of not focusing on characters that we've seen on screen primarily, but focusing more on the characters that we've only created for these books? Well, I think we're almost there, actually, because uh, one of the books that kind of gets uh, lost in the discussion of the Marvel comics, and I'm not up to date with it myself, is there's a Star Wars, I don't know if it's pronounced uh, Kanan or Kanan. I believe it's Kanan. 
the the last Padawan. I believe it's not an original character from the comics, if I remember correctly. It's I think from it's Rebels. From, yeah, it's uh, the characters from Rebels. But even so, you know, having that series is, I think they're already getting more. They're ready to dip into the new EU, which is what it's going to be. You know, we're already well into that. That this that people talk about how the EU is gone, and it's like, well, some aspects of the old one, sure, but all this really means is now we're building a brand new one. And I think with uh, Kanan, that's already well on its way, and we're only going to see more of it, and we're going to see more of it quickly. I don't think you're wrong in that you're going to see more of it quickly. I still... I can't see a time... You know, Knowing Marvel and Disney, I can't see a time that there won't be a comic called Star Wars being published, and that that comic won't focus on Luke, Leia, and Han. That might well. For one thing, I think that um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Star Wars, the comic, as in just Star Wars, right, as right. you said. I wouldn't be surprised to see a major time shift or something to go along with the movies. I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's an interesting conversation to have too. Do you think that they're going to jump around in time? Because I mean, look, there's only so many stories you can tell between the end of A New Hope and the beginning of Empire. Right. That's, you know, there's, there's a limited span there. And so they're going to have to get out of that time frame eventually. I wonder if they're going to move chronologically and then jump between Empire and Jedi and so on. Because right. then once they get past Jedi, well, then there's 30 years of stories to tell there. Right. So I, th- I think that we'll see a lot, especially after... Uh, the first of the new movies comes out, we're going to start seeing a lot more material set in that 30 years. Yes. And I, we've already seen a little bit of it, but of course they don't go too much into detail because they want to hold off on some of it. But once we get that first movie, I think we're, a lot of that is just going to explode. So much more content. And as more movies come out, that's only going to increase. And I think the comics are a great place for that. And we've already seen it in some regard with Shattered Empire. Right. But now we're getting into... <laughs> we are getting back the into Marvel, Marvel chat here, yeah. Uh, so I guess the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, um, I, I when we were talking before we started, I, I have read a good amount of Dark Horse book, uh, Star Wars books, but I, I consider you to be the, the local expert on this. So if you were to give, let's say, three different... It could be series, it could be arcs, it could be single issues that you think are among the best of the Dark Horse Star Wars books for our listeners to seek out. What would you suggest? Let's see. I think that first what I would choose is maybe the first trade of Legacy because while it has its pros and cons and people have different opinions of it, uh, Legacy, it's Interesting because it's Star Wars, but not. Since it's set in the far future, they're able to kind of tweak a lot of aspects of it so we can see what Star Wars could be rather than what it is as we know it. For that same reason, my second one would be the opposite. The uh, Tales of the Jedi omnibuses from uh, Dark Horse 
where we get to see the prehistory of Star Wars as we know it. Um, both of these give very different views of the Star Wars chronology, very different uh, cultures, while still being recognizably Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like those two are definites. And uh, in particular, whereas Legacy is kind of a modern comic, not just in like writing style and um, the art style, but it's also a modern comic in the uh, way that it's a single overarching story written by you know, the same, it has the creative, same creative theme more or less right. throughout. Tales of the Jedi, on the other hand, are kind of a bunch of different stories that might follow some similar characters. And there are some writers who write a couple of them, but it's different in that it's different stories making up a kind of history rather than a single overarching plot. Mm -hmm. And so I think you get some different contrast between those. As for the third one, I think that a good choice would probably be the now hard to find. Um, oh, what is it? Is it uh, Rogue Squadron? I believe is the name. Yeah, X-wing Rogue Squadron. Um, because I think that gives us a what a lot of people want is they do want Star Wars, and so X-wing gives us a more familiar feel, um, focusing on rogue squadron so it's not just a rehash of the movies or anything but it kind of scratches that star wars itch while still being something new right now you mentioned interestingly that you know some of these books are quite hard to find now uh for for those that i guess don't know how this works when dark horse lost the star wars license they ceased the ability to sell directly any of star wars books ever again Yep. And so no doesn't matter that they publish these books, doesn't matter that they, you know, we're, we're paying the creators to create them, they no longer belong to Dark Horse. And so because of that, it can the only way you're finding these books is on the secondary market. Whether it's in a used bookstore, whether it's in your local shop, whether it's on eBay or Amazon, uh you're pretty much going to have to hunt for this stuff. Do you know currently how expensive these books are getting? I do not, but I'd like to throw in a slight correction. Sure. When I'm talking about the omnibuses, you're correct. Um, in print, it was almost immediately after Star Wars was being sold by Marvel that they were able to digitize and just essentially relabel all the uh, Dark Horse uh, omnibuses. So you can find these, they're sold under the Legends banner, like all the other old canon stuff, mm-hmm. on Comixology. Um, and they're just presented exactly as they were in the paperbacks, same contents, same order. Um, so that has driven down the paperback prices on the secondary market. They're still, uh, I forget what they you know, were when, when I last checked, um, but they were... They got really high um, once they stopped being printed. Like, Tales of the Jedi was already out of print for a while after uh, Dark Horse had print- given it its uh, first few print runs and then stopped. And then it just bloomed, bo- excuse me, ballooned up even further. Um, 
upon the uh, cessation of the license. However, things have more or less settled since the uh, them becoming available, not just uh, digitally, but Marvel's going to be doing less of a just relabeling program and releasing some of them in those uh, new epic collections that they publish. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're not going to be the same as the Dark Horse ones, but they're going to be similar in that they'll be kind of ordered based off of the chronology of Star Wars. Right. It looks like you can get the X-Wing Rogue, Squad- Rogue Squadron Volume 1 for about 40 bucks. Yeah. So, um, which, is, which, again, is not cheap, but... It's, yeah, it's not terrible either, and that and that's knowing uh, Rogue Squadron was another one of the ones that uh, was out of print before mm-hmm. Dark Horse lost the license. So forty bucks after, and considering that, that's that's less than it was uh, going for before right. Marvel got the license. I can assure you that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, I I think what. What I've taken the most out of this conversation is just that I think it's a bit of a shame that it's harder to find some of these books now, but I am glad that Marvel's been digitizing them, and I really do hope that we see a resurgence in this type of storytelling at Marvel in the future. I do too, and I I agree that it is a shame that people who prefer print are kind of getting left out. Because they really are making it easy for online, because I believe most of these are available on uh, Unlimited, too. Um, However, there they're not as helpfully organized as the digital omnibuses are, so you kind of have to (laughs) pick and choose. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Walt. Of course, anytime. Thanks, Walt and Greg. Now we're going to hear from some of the young Turks of the Multiversity world. We're going to hear from Alice W. Castle, Matt Garcia, and Jess Camacho, who are going to talk about the modern Star Wars comics over at Marvel. And uh, I like these guys. Enjoy. Uh, I'm Matt Garcia. And I am Alice W. Castle. Okay, so I think the one of the, probably like the best thing to start with is, um, did any of you read any of the Dark Horse stuff before you started reading the Marvel books? Um, I, I read a little, yeah, kind of in the same thing. I, I'm reading the Knights of the Old Republic series right now, but it's just kind of, there's so much that it's easier to kind of dive in and out with those dark horse trades than it is to actually find yeah specifically you know i did have like a handful of really long 
like ongoing series like that i think it was like empire and republic had kind of like like 60 plus issues and i always found that really intimidating trying to get into so i mostly stuck to like the smaller stuff especially the uh it's kind of weird to look back at it now, but the Brian Wood Star Wars series was kind of like the first like Dark Horse one I think I picked up. Mine was actually the Matt Kent uh, miniseries. He did that four issue one. I can't the Rebel Heist. Yeah, Rebel Heist. How was that? Because I want you to check that out. Um, it was okay. I think it was one of my first exposures to like a Star Wars comic, so I mm-hmm. wasn't sure if I was quite ready for the way that Dark Horse wanted their Star Wars comics to be. But it was, I think... Yeah, I read it had it, a very different aesthetic to what yeah. Marvel and Disney are doing now. Yeah, and, um, but I think I re- I'm kind of remembering it fondly. Okay. That Rebel High series was the only thing I read. And I only read that <laughs> because I was supposed to write a review for it, and that was it. I have <laughs> never read any of the Dark Horse stuff, only because by the time I got into Star Wars, it was going for so long, I had no idea what to read. So, yeah, that was a problem I had with the, uh, like, what's now called the Legends novels, is there's, like, hundreds of them. So I think for the three of us, it seems like the, like, clean slate of the new canon kind of helped. Oh, absolutely. Like, jump in. I, yeah, I agree with that. It's yeah. Just, it's just so much easier because I knew, like, none of this was, even if... Some, even if stories ended up being a little bit repetitive for people who may have read the Dark Horse stuff, it wasn't to me. It was new. Mm-hmm. So, like we were taught, like, um, Alice, I think you had mentioned the, the uh, continuity weirdness with Luke learning the Force. Like, In three different ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, even if Dark Horse had done that story, like, I have never read it until now with all this new stuff. So, it's exciting. I also think that, like, it almost needed a re a reboot too, because like when you go back and flip through a lot of the like Dark Horse stuff, it's just kind of the same style of art and the same style of unfolding the story and everything, and it was feeling kind of just like it was spinning its wheels. Yeah, and, I feel like by that point in the canon, they'd filled in so much that they kind of let they they didn't leave themselves enough room to kind of grow. At that point, right. Um, I guess. How do you guys feel about like the first Star Wars book just doing the exact same thing as the one of the last Dark Horse Star Wars books? The first Marvel Star Wars book doing like the same thing as the last, or covering the same area of time as the last Star Wars Marvel book or Dark Horse book? I was pretty much fine with it. I thought like that was a good enough idea that for Disney to come in and be like, "Hey, so." We've bought Lucasfilm, and we're just going to steal all the good ideas that Dark Horse had anyway. <laughs> like, that seemed like a good move to me. Like, sure, it's kind of slightly scummy and a kind of corporate way of just, like, cancelling that series and then doing something very similar to it. But I think having Jason Aaron and... Was it John Cassidy on the art? Yeah. Yeah, Cassidy Having their styles be very different to what the actual story was happening. Like, even though it's the same time period, it's a very different take on it. I think that helped. Yeah, I thought it was fine to start there, too, um, because I think Star Wars, kind of, kind of the way the movies, especially the original trilogy, is, 
there's a lot of room to tell different stories. And with me, as, as long as, like, as long as you don't mess up the, the continuity of the movies where it's, like, so noticeable that I just can't read the book anymore, then I'm fine with it. Call. <laughs> Yeah. Like, that was such a big deal. Like, wait, why are we doing this? What's happening? Like, how is this going to play into anything else that happens ever again? Oh, it's and, funny. My yeah, reaction to that was. Uh, care about that. Yeah. yeah. My reaction to that was like, oh, they were reading Saga this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> I didn't even think of that until now. That's, that's very good. <laughs> um. I, uh, do you like the main Star Wars series? Yeah. I really do. Like, I did the first issue review from All University, and it was, like, glowing. I don't think I've, like, wrote a review as praiseworthy as that since, like, Sex Criminals. And I really stand by it. I think it really holds up and kind of, like, Disney really came out swinging with a, this is what we're doing with Star Wars comics, and they're going to be awesome from now on. And it really helps solidify this as just a, like, these aren't just, like, side stories that you can kind of ignore. These are going to be a major part of the canon going forward. I like that they have, you know, put more emphasis on what their comics are doing, too. And it's not just kind of like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, there's a comic universe over there that's doing comics, I guess. Um, I feel like that with the Dark Horse stuff, where, like, after a while, so much of it was, like, so niche characters that you could kind of ignore it and not really miss anything. Like, you had to dig to find the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is kind of like, this is the Star Wars comic. It's got all your favorite original character, original trilogy characters, and it's awesome and badass, and it's, they're doing stuff that, like, the movies, the original trilogy couldn't with, like, the technology and stuff. Right. And is kind of linking to the prequels in a cool way where it's not like hey remember Jar Jar but it's more like you're seeing the blend between those two trilogies kind of happen where it's not like a stark line I think that's really cool I think what helps too at least for me is that um, these aren't being created by like creators who have never who haven't really proven themselves I mean like I Mm -hmm. will read a Jason Aaron book I will try out a Jason Aaron book because I like so much of what he does. Yeah. And the art has been so good looking for the most part. It's been really pretty. And I think that helps me really mm-hmm. get into it. Um, I'm totally fine with like doing these books about these maybe smaller characters and maybe attaching lesser known teams and kind of working their way up to these big books like Star Wars, like the proper Star Wars books. But the creative teams have really helped for me. Jason Aaron, I really like Jason Aaron. He definitely has their voices down, too. I yeah. remember reading the first one, it was just like, oh, no, that's Han Solo. Yeah. More than all of them. Yeah, yeah, that didn't, I think the, the one that uh, solidified it for me was like, oh my god, Jason Aaron can actually write C-3PO. This is going to be great. Because so often C-3PO comes off as like a weird caricature of himself mm-hmm. when right. not being written like properly. So like them being able to nail that really helped for me. Definitely. I, I definitely agree with that. That probably his characterization in these books is most in line with 
the Anthony Daniels one versus like just kind of the whiny way they portray him a lot of times. Like in some of those Star Wars films yeah. we were talking about earlier. Um, it also helps, I think, the like interlude issues they're starting to have with uh, the Journal of Ben Kenobi yeah. kind of stuff. I really like that. Even though I'm reading it like, why isn't this just a movie with Ewan McGregor? Yes. Like, where where's my movie, Disney? Ewan McGregor isn't getting any younger. <laughs> Hurry up. I've been waiting for He's that gone. movie for so many years. I just feel so let down that it hasn't happened. Like, I will throw all my money at that movie. Like, right now, Ewan McGregor is 19 years younger than... Alec Guinness was when he was in A New Hope. It's the perfect time. Please, Disney, take my money. <laughs> and let Alec write it. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that for free. Yeah, Alice has some great ideas, Disney. Some really good ideas. Better, better than whatever you guys came up with for, for those prequels. <laughs> That's true. This is totally not making it in, but, uh, yeah. Uh, do you guys want to, like, move on to the Darth Vader one, or, like, is there more to stay with Star Wars? Well, I mean... Other than, oh my god, Stuart Eminem is a god. Is he continuing after this? Because I know he's wasting his time with that next Mark Millar book. That is true. I saw in the solicitations that Lionel Yu, I, I always worry that I'm, like, butchering his name, uh is writing the arc after Vader Down finishes. So I think he might come back into it, but not immediately after Vader Down. Yeah. Okay. So um, are you enjoying the Dark Vader book? I mean, what are your feelings on this book that stars what is considered one of the very best villains of all time? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on the Vader book, and it's... Remember how you, you were saying, Jess, about, like, when they start messing with what's in the movie. Yeah. I feel like, as cool as it was initially, Vader knowing that Luke is out there this early really messes with Empire Strikes Back. And that really bugs me. Because there's the scene in Empire Strikes Back, and I watched it recently, where Mm -hmm. uh, he has the, like message with the emperor and it's the first time we see the emperor like in the original trilogy and if you don't know the twist at this point uh the emperor basically says like the kid that blew up the death star i think is the son of anakin skywalker and vader has this line that's like how is this possible and if you have if you don't know the twist that reads as the kid of the jedi i killed blew up the death star well maybe he's a jedi too we should turn him and then when you know the twist that becomes holy shit i have a son but now that's like oh my god the emperor is on to me uh cover for myself because i have this weird plot to overtake him as early as like episode four because i'm a huge coward <laughs> i don't know uh the whole like trying to subvert the emperor this early before anything else kind of rubs me the wrong way I guess it's very weird for me. What do you What do you guys think of it? Uh, I think those I think those are fair points. Um, obviously, I'm not as big of a stickler on 
continuity. So I, that didn't even cross my mind when I've been reading this. I am very fond of the Darth Vader book, and I think it's definitely... I probably like it more on an issue-to-issue basis than I do on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like just how it's delivered. Um, I think it's yeah. a lot of fun, and I think like just they let like Gillen and uh, LaRocca letting Vader just be a badass the whole time is definitely something that I thought was actually lacking in all the Star Wars kind of media up until the comics rebooted. Uh-huh. Because, they, you know, the whole prequel thing being giving him his redemptive arc and, and stuff, and then just always trying to downplay him, I felt. But this one, he came back and just takes things out with, like, his lightsaber on his own. I Yeah, I do think that the Vader book, because it's only just one bigger story and the focus is just kind of on vader and the like anti hero team that he's uh set up anti-hero not in like they're you know oh they're heroes but they're uh not that great but like they are parallels to our main hero cast and stuff yeah uh, like uh afra and the like not c3po and yeah, not yeah. yeah. that they're going <laughs> exactly. on exactly uh, I think those, those guys are a lot of fun, and it definitely on an issue to issue, like standing is just a blast. Yeah, that's like that's, I do. Sorry, go on. Uh, so that's kind of like my thing too with the Vader book. Like I really love how tough he is. Like, he doesn't come off. It's almost like this is not so terrible, but it's almost like they don't count the prequels because. Any ounce of like, at least to me, any ounce of like the whiny teenager is kind of gone. Like he's he's really a badass here. He really is. Yeah. He he's mm-hmm. he really comes off like somebody you don't want to mess with. And I think that was something missing from a long time from the Vader. And like that's bad. That like, you don't want to bother. Like you don't want to even get near him. Because yeah, they they, they call him the weapon for the emperor, but he's he's really scary. And I and he's he's behind the scenes doing his own kind of thing and, and I think he's very dangerous and I, I like that in the series. Yeah. So apparently I'm the odd one out. But no, <laughs> I, like, I do like it. I just, like, the the more it becomes a kind of Vader's trying to, like, set up all these contingency plans to take over from the Emperor, it feels like he's, like, I don't know, I like the idea of Vader just being this, like, force that the Emperor uses more than him being, like, well, i got to take out this old man. <laughs> like, I like he's my master, but also I secretly really don't like him kind of thing is weird to me. But I, I, I'm interested in seeing where it goes. And, like I said, I haven't read Vader down yet, but I'm really excited to check that out. Yeah, I understand I, where you're coming from, Alice, yeah. too, with that. I actually heard some really positive things about Vader down. I have not had a chance to read it either, um, but I did hear some really positive stuff. So. Oh, I I did read that one. It's really fun too. It's in line with what these two guys are doing. Um, were either of you like surprised when they said that Kieran Gillen was doing Darth Vader? Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I was, <laughs> but then after like ten seconds, it made sense because. Kieran Gillen's really good at making you empathize with kind of evil, terrible characters. See, my my worry about him writing this character was that he was going to make him sound too young. And I I really was worried 
that he. I oh my god! Thought, can you imagine Darth Vader in phonogram? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> same boat i remember because they when they announced the three initial and they're like mark wade on princess leia and darth and kieran gillen on darth vader and i'm like is that a typo do they have those mixed up yeah <laughs> yeah that but, is... oh, i'm sorry that's go ahead true. yeah i was no, like, I was just thinking, like you're just thinking like that true. yeah he's made it his own especially with interest introducing afra and you're like there's the gillenism there okay yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> there she is. that was it <laughs> He couldn't, he couldn't help himself. He was like, you know, I'm like two issues into this book. I, I've got to do something. But it's, it's good. I'm, I'm enjoying that book, and I'm, I'm enjoying how he approaches the character. Me too. Um, yeah, definitely. And I like it, it does the same thing where it's like blurring that line between, even though you say that it kind of ignores the prequels a lot, I think it also like kind of embraces some of it. Like there was that issue where they have the, they go to Geonosis and they have like the droids come back into it. I thought that was really cool because it makes, like, this idea that, like, the pre- a lot of the stuff from the prequels just kind of disappeared all of a sudden as soon as the Empire took out, but it's like, no, that it's out there, but, like, it's buried under, like, the Empire taking over. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, what's the other... There's one more ongoing series, right, and that's Kanan for Marvel? It's yeah, like the, like, sleeper hit of the Star Wars comics, I think. What do you guys think of Kanan? Or what do you I, two think I'm, of Kanan? I'm sorry. I'm super into it. I think, like, because I was kind of skeptical about Kanan as a character at the start of Rebels. I was like, who is this weird, like, Han Solo Jedi? And why should I care about him and his dumb ponytail? <laughs> oh my god, that design is so bad. But, like, the way they have the, like, tragic backstory with Order 66 and how he kind of, like, had to, like, really grow up really fast and it's, like, what would happen if, like, say, like, a Luke Skywalker character was, like, thrust into this, like, really seedy underworld. I think he's really cool and gives him a lot of depth that, like, that design does not deserve that much depth, but I, I really like it. I have only read maybe the first trade of Kanan. I have not caught up to the whole thing. Um, and I started watching Star Wars Rebels because I think, Alice, I think you had said it was amazing. Um, but it I'm, gets there. It definitely yeah. gets there. So I'm not as caught up on the comic, but from what I've read, yeah, I I really dig it. Um, I kind of like that these two is separated from um, it feels, it feels a little bit different than, than the other two books. Well, three, because Leia 2 and well, 4 to the Lando. Um, well, they have a bunch of miniseries. Yeah. yeah. But Kanan is good, and um, I'm, I'm hoping to catch up with that one fast, but Kanan is, is pretty cool. Um, I'm finding that I'm kind of like Alice's reaction to Vader on this one, because Kanan just doesn't rub me the right way. Um, I like the first issue mm-hmm. a lot, but it just keeps 
like it kept getting darker and darker and stuff. And I'm like, but this is from Rebels, and Rebels has a much more all ages tone to it that I felt that yeah. I wasn't seeing in Kanan, and that was kind of really throwing me off. And I think this is also speaking to just kind of Marvel's problem in general. Um, but there's really nothing that's like for kids that they've released yet. Like there's something that I would I, I could give either Star Wars or Vader to a kid and I'd be like, eh, it's probably okay. But there's nothing that's like specifically like the Star Wars adventures from Dark Horse kind of thing. And I think that, that is true. Something involving Rebels because it's a big show and it's a great show. Rebels is super cool. Um, having that would have been great. And so maybe Kanan just feels like a big missed opportunity in favor of like a, a different flavor that it doesn't fit with to me. Yeah, I feel like going back to the like tragic backstory of Kanan of like the person he trusted most got murdered in front of him by like jackbooted thugs basically. Like they went really dark with that and like I liked it because I was like, Holy crap, we're actually seeing the like actual like uh what's the word I'm looking for here? Like the actual like psychological effects of like watching all these Jedi die if you survive that which yeah. I feel like like Obi-Wan kind of glossed over he was just kind of like okay with that he was like oh everyone's dead I better go watch over this kid on a desert planet but I think the like, Anakin thing broke him though sorry to interrupt but yeah yeah oh yeah but it's just like broken. seeing like this kid like have to go through that and have to like find a way to survive on his own afterwards. I found it really compelling, but you are right, it's a lot darker than the show's ever gotten. Even in, like, some of the dark, like, the show's darker moments, like, the sh- Rebels has never got as dark as, like, Clone Wars got. Because Clone Wars got dark. Clo- yeah, Clone Wars did get, did go That in. whole that dark all art was dark as hell. Yeah. And it's, like, a maybe not dark as dark yet kind of deal, too. Like, mm-hmm. it hasn't built it to... And maybe that's also what's running, rubbing me wrong with Kanan, is that the show's tone isn't nearly as dark as that book's tone. And, um... um I'm, uh, I'm gonna bring a little tangent in here. I'm not the biggest fan of the last Boom series of Steven Universe, the Steven Universe comic. And a lot of that is I felt that that comic was introduced when Steven Universe was still really young, and they hadn't quite figured out what they were yet. So the comic mm-hmm. hadn't figured out, like, how to approach everything yet. And then, as the show dug more into its mythology, uh, the comic wasn't quite catching up with the mythology, and it was still being its, like, really silly thing, and it just never felt like it had any life. And then the stuff I felt with Kanan is really similar to that, and, like, it just took a total dive into this one direction where the show still hasn't eased itself in, and it still feels more like a tie-in at the same time. Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with that, and I definitely see the, like, it definitely, like, informs the character, but it's, like, you can watch Rebels without reading the series at all, and yeah. you're not really missing anything mm-hmm. so far, but if you're reading the series and not watching Rebels, I don't know if you're getting the same effect. If you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't recommend Kanan to anyone not already watching Rebels. Okay. So, so what about the miniseries that we've seen so far? Did you both enjoy um, and all of them or any of them? What, what's there been so far? There was Princess there was Leia. Lando and Chewbacca is 
still going on now. And then uh, I would, I guess, I would count um, Shattered Empire in there too. That's oh, yeah, wrapped like, up. like Shattered Empire is something that I found really interesting because I feel like a lot of people were expecting like huge answers from this. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like we'll get into this with aftermath, but like. I feel like J.J. Abrams is like, you can do the Journey to the Force Awakens stuff, but there's some answers that we're not putting out until the film comes out. And so people who want to know like where the First Order comes from are going into this book expecting that answer, and they're not getting it, and they're kind of being disappointed by it. But I actually really, really enjoyed it. Well, the whole thing where they're like using a weather weapon on Naboo was kind of strange. Yeah, that was that was a weird issue, but that that last issue with Luke Skywalker was perfect. See, I kind of like the weather weapon because I think it I think it kind of reflected how desperate they became to try to hold on to everything, and like so so they're like, oh, we have nothing, so weather machine, go. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they had left. Like a pure rebel, right? Just yeah. <laughs> from the scraps, whatever we can, throw it at them. <laughs> it just felt like so, like, I know this is going to be really hypocritical of me. It felt almost too comic booky for Star Wars. Where it's like, the Empire shows up and they're like, we're going to make this massive storm because I guess Greg Rucka really likes Weather Wizard. <laughs> and I'm just like, Greg Rucka, okay. Ice Team series. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like I said, uh, I feel like people had like a lot of expectations, and I think if you kind of go into it, just letting it be this kind of, like, what happens in the aftermath from the Rebels' perspective, and, like, having, uh, like, the main, like, uh, trio characters show up aside, like, Paul Dameron's parents, like, it is actually kind of worthwhile reads. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I thought it had some really well-executed action sequences. I don't think, like, the art was anything to write home about, but it was competent enough to deliver the story. I think the real shining thing in that was Rucka's plotting for Shattered Empire. Yeah. I really like uh, Marco Cicchetto. I think I'm mispronouncing his name as well, because I loved his and Greg Rucka's Punisher run. And I was really sad that he didn't... Oh my god, his Punisher run is amazing. Okay. But uh, I was really sad that he only did the first and last issue in full. There was a couple of fill-in artists that came in, and they weren't... Like, I was really disappointed that they had to bring fill-in artists. Even for, like, a four-issue thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the art as well on the first couple, the first first and last issues. I thought he was great. I liked the way, I I thought the way that the depth of, like, some of the ships came off on the page, I thought that was beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. But I really liked the series, too, but, but like, you guys, like, both of you had said, um, I don't know, people, people were, like, expecting something too much from this. I mean, when, I I will probably talk, we will probably talk about this in Aftermath, but I feel like after this new movie, we're gonna get, like, I would be surprised if, like, January comes around and we get these huge announcements of, like, every character getting some kind of a miniseries because now we've got answers, and now we want to know how they got there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I think I made this uh, joke on Twitter, like, uh, Ken was saying about, like, Kylo Ren's getting a miniseries, Ray's getting a miniseries, and I was like, BB-8's getting an ongoing series. <laughs> it's happening. 
BB-8 like, taking over the world. <laughs> BB-8 2016. Um, they've already announced the like the those children's novels that um that are written by like various artists, but like Phil Noto does interior illustrations for. I think they're doing the the uh, Finn and Ray and uh, Poe ones like a little maybe a week or two after the movie comes out. So yeah, I, agree I saw the something. Like, be... uh, I think it's actually Greg Rucker that's doing that as well. There's something he's, called he's Before the Awakening. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think, kind of like that. And I think there are, like, I know we'll get into the novels, but there's, like, a New Republic novel and the rest of the Aftermath trilogy is coming out after the film. So I think they're, like, keeping those answers there. And the rest of it is just kind of hyping up for The Force Awakens. Yeah. Which is working. Yeah. (laughs) Shattered Empire is the only, like, journey to The Force Awakens. It's not the only. I read the three kids' books. But... Shattered Empire is like the biggest, I think, of the Journey to the Force Awakened things I've read yet. And a lot of that is just like, mm, it's going to be like little teases and stuff that don't get into the movie. I'd rather see the movie and then go back and read it later. Yeah, I like how they did it. I know it's kind of a tangent, but like in those kids' books, having the like prologue and epilogue kind oh. of be like slight teases towards that. Yes. That really got me hyped. <laughs> I liked Shattered Empire's last issue because I think the the with Poe Dameron's parents and their interactions with, like, the original three, and especially that last issue with Luke. I don't know if oh there's going to be some, like, huge revelation down the road, but I kind of like how connected his parents were to to the rebellion, and and especially Luke, the end with that with that tree. I mean, that, that, that was exciting I re- to me. I like- <laughs> I really hope something happens with that tree in The Force Awakens. Like, like where they've planted that is where the rebel bases in the Force Awakens or something like that. I want that kind of reference. That would be amazing. And see, see some people wouldn't get that, and then who didn't read the comic, and I'll be sitting there in movie theater like, yes, the tree matters. <laughs> <laughs> in the theater, it's like the tree. Star Wars, Star Wars is turning into a Marvel movie where we're like, we're only going to get the references because we've read the comics. <laughs> So, um, as far as like the as far as the other mini series go that were focused on uh, some of the original characters, did, did you did you feel like any of them really stuck out? Um, and are there any people who were from the original trilogy you want to see a, a mini series like this for? Uh, I definitely want a Max Rebo series, <laughs> which who's like the little. Uh, like blue elephant dude from Return of the Jedi, yeah. <laughs> who like plays uh, in Jabba's palace. I want an entire series based on this like little like blue elephant dude. It's like a rise but and no, fall of rock really and roll like... story. Yes, it's like how did you yes. go from packing all these stadiums on Coruscant to Jabba's palace? <laughs> yes, VH ones behind the music, the Max Rebo band. <laughs> I, I need this that. to happen. I feel like comics need more of that just in general, and using that as a Star Wars book would be a really good transition into it. Oh god, it'd be like Spinal Tap in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is, this is so like I I'm I want to pitch this to Marvel now. I would read that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, the variants too, man. That's, that's... Alex has, Alex has a million dollar idea right there. 
Ah, uh, it's a shame that like no one's ever going to make this book happen. I'm so sad. If there is like fan no, art like, on Tumblr or something. Yeah, make a fan comic. But no, the of the actual Benny series that have come out, the only one that really got me was Lando. I was kind of really lukewarm on the Princess Leia one. I thought it was fine, but it didn't really like grab me in a way that like Star Wars did in its first issue. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Uh, yeah, I was just kind of like, oh well, that was over when we finished it. It was disappointing because it was Princess Leia, so I think my expectations for that one were the highest. Hmm. I just like I feel like. Mark Wade was kind of off his game a little bit. There was, like, a couple of interactions where, like, especially in the first issue where people were like, oh, Princess Leia's such an ice queen. She's such a horrible bitch. And I'm like, she hasn't done anything to warrant (laughs) that kind of reaction. Like, why do people just hate her for some reason in the series? But it kind of got better once they brought in the kind of, like, new Alderaan stuff. But, like, Mm -hmm. once they finished it, it was just kind of like, well, yeah, that was a story. <laughs> that went nowhere, but okay. It was fun while yeah. it was. I think that was my reaction to it as well. Um, yeah. I mean, aside from Leia, I, I did like Leia, um, but I do think it got better towards the end than in the beginning. Um, I wasn't crazy about Lando, and I really like Lando as a character, but I wasn't crazy about that book. I didn't like Lando either. Um Really? No. I, 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 I was like, like I read that all in one go, and I was like, this is, like, really for me, I feel like. I don't know. I only, I admittedly only read the first one, but it didn't feel like, I don't, I don't think Charles Soule is that interesting of a writer to begin with, and um, I don't think mm-hmm. that his long-term plotting was interesting there, and for a heist book, because Lando was a heist book, right? Yeah, yeah, the whole thing was that they're like uh, stealing like one of the emperor's ships, and yeah, like, like what the thing that I really liked was uh, it's full of these like dark side artifacts. So like people start turning on each other, and you're getting like kind of betrayals, which I thought was kind of cool. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't super great. I just like I enjoyed my time with it. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, like he introduces this like female Boba Fett kind of bounty hunter character who is basically a superhero in the Star Wars universe and I kind of love her and want her to be in more Star Wars stuff. I can't remember her name though. It's kind of it's gonna be like a dumb Star Wars name. Um and then uh last one's what Chewbacca? Yeah. I have I have not read Chewbacca yet. I'm sorry, go ahead. Read the first issue, and it's... Phil Nota's art's really good, because of course it is, but it's kind of... <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, how do, you make, how do you make a comic out of a character who doesn't speak English? Like, you kind of end up just having other characters be the main character, and he just kind of follows them around. So it's yeah. not really about Chewbacca, he just kind of, like, shows up. I was hoping that they would do something like uh, what James Stokoe did for the, his issue of like Godzilla in Hell, where it was a silent comic, oh, yeah. and it was a lot of just pantomiming and stuff, and that was 
really, really fun and really, really cool. But so there is kind of something like that where the the scenes where it does cut to Chewbacca where he's not with other characters are silent and it's him just kind of like wandering about kind of doing his thing but there is this there's this whole like side story about like a young girl who's a slave and has escaped and like that's how she gets Chewbacca to help her because they're actually making the whole like Wookiees were enslaved by the Empire thing canon which I think is cool that that's like a really cool part of the story for me so I like I'll probably read the rest of it but the first issue was just kind of a yeah yeah this is probably how you do a Chewbacca comic where he can actually talk it makes sense, but yeah. See, this is gonna sound terrible, but like I don't hate Chewbacca, but I've never really been attached to Chewbacca. You so, heathen! How so, <laughs> <laughs> so, dare mini- you see this in my presence? <laughs> so this mini did not really even appeal to me when they announced. I'm like, why? I don't want to read a Chewbacca book. I mean, I don't want Chewbacca to die in the new canon, but. You know, I just I'm not that attached to him. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. God, that that, to was, that was my favorite like f you to the old canon when they were just like, yeah, no, we're bringing Chewbacca back in the Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite. I think. Um, I think as far as like some of the older characters go, I wouldn't be against a, a like Godfather style story with Jabba the Hutt. Oh. I wouldn't be against yeah. that. I don't. I don't know. If, I don't I, I know if Dark that. Horse ever did it, but I wouldn't be against that. It was just. It, it would just really need to retain some kind of darkness, even though it is Marvel proper. You know, they're they're not trying to do anything too crazy. Um, right. But I, I. I would like something like that. I don't know who would write it, but I, I wouldn't be against something like that. That'd be kind of cool. That would be cool. I feel like like the only comic I can really think of that like. I want to happen is one that's actually happening is is the Obi-Wan and Anakin series that Charles Soule's doing, which, like, I know you don't like Charles Soule that much, Matt, but it's yeah. set between episode one and two, oh my God. which I think is, like, because there's ten years between episode one and two that we've yeah. never really seen, and so it's about right. their kind of relationship and, like, Obi-Wan actually mentoring a younger Anakin instead of just this weird whiny teenager that shows up in episode two. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm pretty much here for anything Obi Wan Kenobi related. <laughs> right. So, like, I didn't even know that was happening. I must have missed that. I didn't even know that was a thing. So thank you, yeah, Alice. <laughs> I think it's Charles Soule and Marco Cicero. Oh wow. Yeah, I think it was a Shattered Empire guy. I'm gonna read that. So much Probably give it like a go. I'm the I same think way, it like, starts Obi-Wan in January, if I remember. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, I got his uh, Funko the other day, and it's like my favorite thing. The Obi Wan Pop Funko. I'm like, yes, just yeah. hang out right here next to it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Obi Wan and Anakin was announced at New York Comic Con, and it starts in January. It's only a five issue series, though. Hmm. See, I was actually there, so that's probably why I missed it. I never, I never find out anything that was announced while I'm actually there. Because I'm doing. Oh yeah, you only find out about it if you manage to get into the panel. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't yeah. even check. I, I didn't even check my phone. I didn't know that was happening. I'm very excited now. I'm gonna read that. Um. So. Uh. So, do you, either one of you have any like final thoughts about the books, about the comic books, before we move on to doing the novel? 
portion of this? Uh, yeah, I think they're doing a really good job. The only thing I want to see is more miniseries. Like, I think Star Wars is doing great. I think Darth Vader is... For me, Darth Vader's fine. Uh, I want to see where that goes after Vader down. But, like, Gillen and Laroque are doing good work there. I just... I want to see more, like, obscure characters be filtered in more than... Like, because when it started off, it was like, hey, we're doing Star Wars and Darth Vader, but we're also doing, like, Princess Leia, and then Lando's going to show up. And now... It feels like they've just got the ongoings and like kind of Obi-Wan and Anakin. I'd like to see more kind of smaller stories get filtered in. That's me. <laughs> um no, I'm I'm digging the main two series quite a lot. And like every time they're in my poll, or every time they come up in the poll that that week, it's like yes. Uh the miniseries are touch and go and I just wish the quality of the miniseries would improve and maybe even if marvel would just kind of move out of their marvel house to make them would even give it a little bit more of a fresh air yeah and i think that's my biggest problem with the stars it's just still like it feels marvel-y yeah that's 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 the same um complaint i would have about the miniseries I think it's great to do them, but I wouldn't mind bringing in new people to tell those stories. Like, pick a random character and just let some new team, at least new to Marvel, um, tell a story. I think that'd be a lot. Oh, of yeah, fun. Def- they should definitely be like plumbing, like image or boom for like more kind of indie artists to kind of because it does feel a little house style mm-hmm. right now. But I feel like when you're working with Marvel and Disney has to sign off on that, that doesn't really surprise me. But I kind of do, like, get the whole, like, I kind of wish they'd take a little bit more risks with some of them, yeah. Actually... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Jess, go ahead. Okay. Um, there, There was actually a Dark Horse series, it was like Tales or something, where they brought in, they were all one-shot issues, and then oh, they yeah. would bring in all these different artists. I think I would like to see something like that come back to the Marvel books. Just one-shots of different teams and short stories all throughout the galaxy. Yeah, that would be definitely be cool. Yeah, that that would be really fun. Or even a, even like a three or four times a year anthology with a lot of different things. I think that would be cool, too. Um, I really like anthologies. Um <laughs> And, um, yeah, no, they're fun. I agree. Yeah, I mean, the really good ones are fun. <laughs> right. There's, I've seen some bad ones. <laughs> um, but I think um, I think the, the risk-taking, I think that's going to happen after this movie comes out. I, I really think Disney got the rights to this, and they want, they didn't want to wait a year. They didn't want to wait years to put things out, um, so they did what was safe. But I think after this movie comes out, I think we're going to get a ton of stuff. So much stuff. It's gonna be almost. It's gonna be re- really, really exciting. Um, they got to start yeah, doing like I'm, I'm, I'm Star really Wars Land comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's gonna be so cool. Because we're gonna uh, get, we're gonna yeah, get I, comics about the characters that get introduced in this movie. Where they? Because what is it? Thirty? I think they said it's thirty years that have passed. Yeah. 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 We have a thirty years of story that we don't know yet. Like that's so exciting to me. Because none of the other stuff counts anymore. 
So I, I'm just yeah, because really I, I remember telling someone about like aftermath, and they were like, "No, I want to go into the Force Awakens clean. I don't want to know anything." And I'm like, "Aftermath takes place like 29 years before the Force Awakens. It doesn't actually inform anywhere near that storyline." So I really like that would be really cool for them to like start pumping out more s- stories around then. Thanks, Matt, Jess, and Alice. Thanks, Greg and Walt. Thank you all for listening. Please check out multiversitycomics.com for all sorts of fun comics-related stuff. This week, we're going to have a big review of the Arrow and the Flash crossover. If you like DC comic books and TV shows, which you probably should because they're really good. But if you're more of just a Star Wars person, we usually have a little bit of Star Wars stuff up there each week, too. But, um... Please interact with the show. You can send us an email, forceghostc2c at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, at forceghostc2c. You can call our hotline. Please do this. Please leave us a a nice voicemail we can play on the show, 973-913-4627. Again, that's 973-913-4627. In lieu of a voicemail for this week, we are going to be listening to... Somebody we just heard, Alice W. Castle, one of our Multiversity staffers. Alice wanted to talk about a specific Star Wars comic slash novel. And so there's a little monologue here from Alice that we're going to close out the show with tonight. And so thank you all so much for listening. Check out the site, email us, tweet at us, call the hotline. And until next time, may the Force be with you. Okay, so hi, my name is Alice W. Castle, and I'm going to be talking about the Dawn of the Jedi era of the old Star Wars Expanded Universe, or I guess the Star Wars Legends, as it's now called. And if you don't know what Dawn of the Jedi is, I'm not actually that surprised. It's something that I haven't really heard a lot of people talking about, but it's an era of Legends that I think is actually really interesting, because it's the earliest point in the Star Wars kind of timeline. It's the earliest legend of the Star Wars universe. And what it basically deals with, as the kind of name implies, is the origination of the Jedi Order. What happens is there are these eight uh, craft, there's these like giant pyramid things, they're called the Thoyor, that travel around the galaxy and they basically take Force-sensitive users or Force-sensitive people from across the galaxy and kind of congregate around this planet in the inner core called uh, Tython, which is a Force-sensitive planet. There is, like, such a concentration of the Force around this planet that it has these things called Force storms that are really intense but kind of really abstractly described, so it's hard to kind of get a feel for what actually happens there because the force isn't real obviously but it's one of those things where you get all these force sensitive people from across the galaxy these different races and they are brought to this force sensitive planet and they're kind of just left there to their own devices so they create these temple across the planet there are these nine temples and they create the jedi order but 
this isn't the Jedi Order we know from the prequel trilogy. This isn't even the Jedi Order we know from Knights of the Old Republic. This is the like progenitor of those orders. They're the word Jedi is even spelled differently. Instead of J E D I, it's J E D A I I. So it's this kind of the whole series is much more kind of fantasy orientated than science fiction orientated kind of in the spectrum of space opera of what Star Wars is it's much more in tune with the kind of fantasy aspect where you have these temples this very monk-like order who are exploring and uh, investigating this mystical force but there's there's elements of the kind of classic smuggler kind of element to Star Wars where you see these uh the kind of people who left the order go and populate the other planets in this uh star system but this is before kind of uh a lot of the hyperspace stuff so it's really contained to this one star system so it's not like you're going to a billion different planets across the series it's really contained to the one star system of about nine or ten planets i think and it's actually very interesting to see this kind of Star Wars as if boiled down to one star system where you have the Jedi Order you have kind of one of the main antagonists is the Rakata Empire which I think were first introduced in the Knights of the Old Republic video game as the builders of the Star Forge this is back when they're the, the Infinite Empire as they're called basically rules the rest of the galaxy and so they're kind of an antagonist there's an antagonist of a queen who led an uprising against the Jedi it's a very interesting kind of um, microcosm of lore at basically hundreds of thousands of years before anything in the movies ever took place and it's the thing that interests me the most is how as a legend within the universe and as the birth of the Jedi Order you see things there that actually kind of not enforce things that happen in the films but kind of thematically resonate with them where there's this idea presented with the Jedi of Tython where they are convinced they're um what's the word I'm looking for they're devoted to the idea of balance this isn't the Jedi Order of the prequel trilogy who are like I said in the Luke Skywalker monologue I did or I'm a going to do depending on the order of this I'm not sure spoiler alert these are recorded out of order sorry about that but in the Luke Skywalker review I talked about how the Jedi of the prequel trilogy are devoted to the light and one in absence of the dark side of the force they think it's pure evil they want it gone they want to eradicate the Sith but the Jedi of Tython are actually much more interested in taking the light and the dark and kind of creating a true balance, creating an equality there between light and dark. And the way the Jedi of Tython kind of uh, explain that is by looking at the moons of Tython. There is a really dark moon and a really light moon, which is kind of convenient, to be honest, but thematically it's something that really resonates with me, where... They look at dark Bogan and light Ashla as they are, as the moons are called, and they see this balance that they create, this harmony they create as they orbit Tython, and they're able to kind of 
use that to look inside themselves and look at how they use the force and create a true balance. And I think using that basis as a legend, kind of the way Revenge of the Sith used Darth Plagueis' story as a legend, you can see this kind of where the prophecy of the Chosen One who would bring balance to the Force came from, because that was the original goal for the Jedi. And seeing Luke Skywalker hundreds of thousands of years later actually kind of achieve that or achieve something very close to that is something that I think really ties all of the universe together. And on top of that, it's John Ostrander writing Star Wars comics, and there's a tie-in novel that goes with it that's really good. It's a really fascinating... It's like one series. It's like, I think, 15 issues. It's not this kind of epic, sprawling narrative that Knights of the Old Republic became or any of the kind of prequel comics. It's this really self-contained story kind of at the dawn of the Star Wars universe. And I think it's definitely something that was overlooked within the Dark Horse canon or the EU and I think it's definitely something that I would recommend to basically all Star Wars fans to see where a lot of the kind of uh, the prophecy and the chosen one and the balance stuff with the force came from and are able to enrich that when looking at the prequel trilogies and Luke Skywalker's journey.